Hi, I'm Abby Taylor with Behind Our Eyes. We are a writer's organization that is open to authors with all disabilities, not just those with blindness or low vision. We meet at least three times a month via phone conference for critique sessions, panel discussions, guest speakers, and more, and have a lot of fun. We have an email list where members can share their work and where announcements of upcoming activities are posted. We have published two anthologies of our members' poems, stories, and essays, and are working on a third. We also produce an online journal called Magnets and Letters. For more information and to join, visit www.behindoureyes.org. That's www.behindoureyes.org. If you have questions, you can email me at abbytaylor945 at gmail.com. That's A-B-B-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R-945 at gmail.com. Welcome to this sample of Newsreel Magazine. In the next few minutes, you'll learn what Newsreel is and how to subscribe. Newsreel. At the end of this sample, we're offering a free three-month trial of Newsreel. Newsreel. This is Erwin Hot. I'm editor of Newsreel magazine, By and for the Blind. It's monthly and available in a variety of formats. Newsreel. Newsreel is unique in that many of the articles are submitted in the voices of our blind or visually impaired subscribers. Newsreel was founded in 1958 by Stanley Doran, founder of Pilot Dogs and co-founder of the Central Ohio Radio Reading Service. I'm Erwin Hott. I'm also a founder of the Central Ohio Radio Reading Service and have been involved with Newsreel since the mid-1980s as editor for more than 20 years. Each issue has from 55 to 60 articles on topics such as mobility, traveling with a guide dog and or a cane, recipes, book reviews, poetry, music, technology, demonstrations, and much, much more. Here are a few snippets from recent issues. This is Dana Ard. I am wondering what people know about the various smart TVs that are now out there. This is Joan Andrews in Ashtabula, Ohio. I think televisions have gotten really pretty uh, accessible. Paul and I just bought two new televisions, one for downstairs and one for up here. This new uh, LG television that we have, it has Braille on the remote. It says P for power next to the power button, and uh, it says V next to the volume button. The volume will speak and tell you what level it's on and it says C next to the channel button. Paul got a second television for downstairs, and uh, it talks, too. They both do. If you push the mute button, it says mute, and then when you turn the sound back on, it says volume, and it'll tell you what level you're at. It also has one that's labeled accessibility. Thank you. This is Charles Dickens in Sacramento. The lady that talked about she wasn't able to follow TV because she has a hearing problem. I have hearing aids that uh, 
have two microphones on and I can adjust them. And one is the TV mold. On the hearing aids, I have what they call the T-coil mode that you get a device and you hook it up to your TV and you can hear through the hearing aids. Now I'm going to get Bluetooth hearing aids that you can do the same thing. From Tom Kaufman and David Goldfield, DoorDash now offers grocery delivery. The company said Thursday it's partnering with Meyer and Fresh Time to deliver to customers in Chicago, Cincinnati, Milwaukee. This is Tom Likens. Does anybody know about the chameleon Braille note taker that is uh, manufactured by Humanware. Thank you. This is Nolan Crabb. I am looking today at a book that I'm hopeful you'll enjoy. And, and if you enjoy a good police procedural and a mystery, this will absolutely rock your house. The Night Fire, Renee Ballard, number three, Harry Bosch, number 22, by Michael Conley. From Nancy Scott. Pandemics teach things. Don't take anything for granted. Don't put things off. Entrepreneurs can be clever. Fun is hopeful. Fun with other people is more hopeful. And magic can appear with the addition or subtraction of one ingredient. Al Subiaga with a question. I was wondering if any of you, especially you totals, had ever cut your own grass, and if so, how did you do it? That's it for this sample of Newsreel Magazine, Vine for the Blind. For more information, call us at 614-469-0700 or 888-723-8737. We are offering a three-month trial of Newsreel Magazine for free. It's available on NLS-type cartridge or a thumb drive as a download from our website on 4-Track Cassette or an MP3 CD. Our email is info, I-N-F-O, at newsreelmag.org. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Christopher Burke. I'm the Executive Director of the Northeastern Association of the Blind. On behalf of everyone at NABA, I would like to congratulate the American Council of the Blind of New York for their 50 years of dedicated service to the blind community and for their unwavering commitment to advocating and promoting the issues and actions that have improved lives of blind New Yorkers. NABA is proud to be a partner with ACB, and we will continue to work together to provide services and supports that help us fulfill our mission to help people who are blind or visually impaired achieve independence and growth. I very much look forward to the years ahead and our continued success. Congratulations, ACB, for all that you have achieved and all that is yet to come. Thank you. The New York State School for the Blind wants to congratulate the American Council of the Blind of New York, Incorporated, on its 50 years of advocacy. The School for the Blind truly recognizes the commitment your organization has made to the lives and families of people with visual impairments. We appreciate and value your hard work and success in advocating and providing resources to ensure people are educated in knowing that blindness is not the characteristic that defines you or your future. We also want to recognize our alumni who are dedicated members of your organization. Our alumni are proof you can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. 
best wishes. Hi, my name's Lena. I'm the marketing manager for Orchem Technologies, and I'm here today with my colleague, Dr. Brian Walensky, and we're going to just be talking about the latest developments of Orchem. Can you tell me about yourself? Hi, my name is Dr. Brian Walensky. I'm an optometrist in New York City, and one of my specialties is low vision rehabilitation. So what is the Orchem MyEye? The Orchem MyEye is the world's most advanced wearable assistive technology that was designed for people who are blind, visually impaired, or have reading challenges. The device is about the size of your finger and attaches magnetically to most any eyeglasses. Specifically, how the device works is that it takes a photograph or picture of the visual information and then speaks back that information auditorily to the user through a speaker next to the ear or through a Bluetooth headset or headphones. The device function specifically is reading. It's able to read off of any surface. That includes computer screens and smartphones. OrCam also has facial recognition, also recognizes barcodes, products, paper money, colors, and has a tell time feature. So I'd also like to introduce the smart reading feature, and it works like so. Smart reading. Ready. Read the headlines. Found two headlines. First result, women dominate Booker Prize list. Second result, Venice plans to hold its film festival. Read the first article. Women dominate Booker Prize list by Alex Marshall. Hillary Mantle and Ann Tyler are among the early nominees. London, Hillary Mantle's The Mirror. I am listening. And smart reading is that easy. What is the OrCam Read? OrCam Read is OrCam's newest device, which is a reading device, and it's handheld. Just recently launched in March of 2020, OrCam Read is just that. It is a reading assistive technology device. Leveraging off of OrCam's already computer vision technology, OrCam Read is very helpful for someone to read text. And what it does is you can read text not only a whole entire page, but also from anywhere you want within that text. With OrCam Read, you can read from anywhere you want in the text, a paragraph of the text, or even a whole page. And this is done through its laser guidance system. It has a point and click operation function where you just press on a trigger button, which activates a laser light that comes out. There are two different laser lights that come out. One is a cursor and another one is a bounding box, bounding the area of where you want it to read. So the cursor you would use to start from anywhere you want within the text. So if it's a newspaper, I could start at one article or another, or if it's a book, I can start in the middle of the book or the top of the page. If I want the whole page, all I need to utilize is the bounding box laser, and I bound the whole page, and it will read from the whole page. Or if I just want to get a paragraph, all I need to do is outline that paragraph, and OrCam Read will instantly start reading to the user. So who may be the potential users of OrCam's devices? OrCam products can be used by people who are blind or visually impaired, or by people who are auditory readers or have reading difficulties, like people who have dyslexia. It can be used by anyone of any age, any technological ability, 
and any type of vision loss, no matter what eye condition they have. So where would people be using their OrCam device, at work or in their personal life? Well, the answer is both. People can use OrCam at work, in their personal life, and even in school. There are many users that I've seen using OrCam at work in many different ways. They have a meeting and they go to a, or they go to a boardroom and they're given a piece of paper and they can read the information right there and then. Or they can read something off their computer screen. And even because OrCam is portable, they could take it on the go. And as everybody now is working from home, OrCam could be used in the home. But not only for work, OrCam is used in people's personal lives. People can use OrCam, again, for reading, for facial recognition. Shopping independently is a big feature. But OrCam can be used anywhere, reading your mail, reading a menu at a restaurant. And in school, OrCam can be very useful as well. So how would the OrCam device be helpful in the workplace? OrCam devices can be very helpful in the workplace. Specifically, its reading function. Someone can walk into a board meeting, be handed an agenda, and read the information right there and then without having to go somewhere else and scan it and then listen to it. So very helpful in that it's portable. As well as when you're at work, there is a socialization factor at work. So the facial recognition feature really comes in handy. As we know, 70% of people who are blind and visually impaired are either unemployed or underemployed. This technology that OrCam offers really levels the playing field and helps the people succeed at their job, creating possibly even other opportunities. Contact Evan Cannon at OrCam for any questions or to learn how you can qualify for a limited time 10% discount. Please email evan.cannon at orcam.com or call 631-766-0016. Hello, this is Anne from Tangible Surface Research. I hope all is well and that you are staying active and healthy. I'm the creator of the Halos tactile icons, those shaped stickers that identify the location and function of buttons on your home appliances. My tactile icon sticker packages are available in high contrast orange, black, and clear. Well, this year we're adding another variation, which is multicolor. For example, the start icons are green and the stop icons are red. You can find the new multicolor packages at my Etsy store, which is halosystem.etsy.com. That is H-A-L-O-S-Y-S-T-E-M dot E-T-S-Y dot com. All other Halos Tactile Icon packages are available from Independent Living Aids and LSNS. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch, and I hope to see you next year.
Dreams all look pretty. No place in the world that can compare. Put your lighters in the air, everybody say yeah. And this is ACB Radio Live Event. And you're listening to the ACB of New York National, not National, Virtual Convention. Yeah, it is national here on the ACB Live Event, ACB Radio. Programming picks up again at the top of the hour, so stay tuned, everybody. Enjoy the music in the meantime. Rice and flowers, the knot is tied. I can visualize such happy hours close by your side. The honeymoon in store <laughs> is one that you'll adore. No. I'm gonna take you for a ride. You'll go home and get your panties, I'll go home and get my scanties, and away we'll go. Off we're gonna shuffle, shuffle up the buffalo. 
Personal puss on a wooden nickel 
Well, everybody, it's 5 o'clock. Which means we're going to turn it back over to the convention here on ACB Radio Live event. Annie, are you? Thank you, Rick. Um, I'm up, huh? It's all yours, oh, kiddo. All right. Um, wow. So uh, that made me want to, like, get up and move around. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, so I wanted to uh, thank our sponsors uh, before we move on to, uh, to our, next, um, our next session. So Spectrum, of course, OrCam, Northeast Association of the Blind, CAPV, Lighthouse Guild, and DeWitt Intangible Surface Research Limited, Behind Our Eyes, Newsreel Magazine, and the New York State Preferred Source Program. Um, hopefully, you've been listening in and you've uh, you've caught uh, their presentations. So, um, so thank you. Uh, where we would not, where would we be without our sponsors? Uh, thank you to ACB Radio, and uh, especially during the business meeting, for all of that hand raising and hand lowering. And so, thank you, Rick and Lynn and Tyson and Jason. Uh, we're, your guys are amazing. Um, so uh, our next presentation is uh, about diversity and intersectionality uh, with our guest presenter, Stan Holbrook. And uh, to present a little bit about more about Stan um, is Dr. Joe Granderson. We heard of, uh, from Dr. Joe Granderson uh, saying the Pledge of Allegiance for us uh, during opening ceremonies. So, Joe, if you are ready to go, I will hand it over to you. Thank you very much, Annie. Well, sure. uh, I'd like to uh, say a few more words uh, about Mr. Holbrook. Um, Mr. Stan Holbrook is the owner of Holbrook and Associates. This is a management uh, consulting firm specializing in organizational development diversity and inclusion training, strategic planning, and capacity building training. He is also the executive director of the Pennsylvania uh, Council for Independent Living. Uh, Mr. Holbrook? Sure. Thank you for the introduction. And um, just to say a little more about myself, I've been um, working with uh, diversity initiatives for people with disabilities for the last five years. I've served as a diversity chair for the Nats National Council independent living. And so I'm, it's a pleasure for me to be here in the midst of you. I really like this to be more of an interactive session than a session where I'm lecturing to you. So I don't know. I, I believe the logistics are there are you having people put their hands up? Um, Annie, 
Or, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. We, so we have our host. Is it Tyson who's our host? Yeah. Who's our host? You have two co three co hosts. Yeah, right. Uh, Katie. It's Katie. Yes, oh, Katie. Katie Frederick. I right. can Sorry. help host. Yeah, okay. No problem. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know who it was. Ah. All right. So, so, so Stanley, um, when you need, uh, when you feel that you need the interactions, just let us know and we'll, mm. we'll, you know, we'll get some hands raised and get some questions going. So, okay. okay. Well, well, it's wide. It's, it's kind of wide open because I'm going to start with questions. I, I really believe in getting dialogue going and then we'll go into why this is, why this whole thing is important now and, and do a short session on microaggressions and, and we'll come back with some more um, interaction. So okay. I'll start here with a question and I hope you guys aren't shy. You know, I, I need somebody to be brave when when we as we do this okay the question is do you think it's important that you and your organization has a role in the anti-racism movement going on and if so what is that role and why so i'd like to hear from some of you guys um I'd like to start since uh, I think this is an easy question for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, being, I'm being facetious, but I'll break the ice. Uh, yes, I think that um, our organization certainly uh, plays a role um, in uh, trying to uh, improve the situation you know, that we find ourselves in. Um, I believe that our advocacy um, you know, would be the area where we would be most comfortable in um, mm -hmm. asserting ourselves. Um, and, you know, this can take um, many forms, uh, obviously, uh, in the uh, legislative uh, area where we always uh, find ourselves, um, but also in uh, local um, uh, communities, um, you know, uh, so that, you know, we're, we're talking about um, uh, community uh, groups uh, to support. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, we support Black Lives Matter um, and um, the um, uh, uh, peaceful protests uh, and the uh, civil disobedience, um, you know, uh, that goes along uh, with trying to fight, you know, uh, the uh, systemic problems that we face, um, including uh, uh, discrimination, uh, justice issues uh, that I think basically uh, brought this whole uh, issue uh, problem to a head. And um, uh, also, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, systemic racism. So, mm -hmm. uh, yes, I think we play a role. And, and I think that, um, you know, I, I certainly want to hear from the rest of our folks to find out what other roles we can play, because I think that's very important. Yes. Uh, uh, thank you. That's, that's a pretty thorough answer. Um, you yourself, what is your role? Go well, uh, <laughs> well, your uh, personal role. 
Yes, yes, not a problem. Well, my, my you know, my personal role uh, is um, more or less, okay, so, so first thing I should say is that um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little past the point in terms of uh, years where, uh, where I can be in the street. Right. Uh, so, 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 so that can't be my role anymore. Um, but, um, you know, certainly uh, uh, what I do in my uh, personal life in terms of communication with um, people around me, um, what I do here in the organizational, in, 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 the, in the organization, you know, in terms of uh, any conversation that, that comes up and, and um, you know, uh, questions that may be asked, we, we all can work it out because I think we all can learn. I certainly can still learn, um, you know, uh, how we can work on this issue. Um, so, and through the organization, as I said before, uh, in, you know, supporting the advocacy, et cetera. Um, and uh, in my personal life, I also support Black Lives Matter, um, uh, you know, in terms of attending some of their functions and, uh, you know, financial support, et cetera. Thank you very much. <clears throat> I am of the belief that transfer, any transformation begins with us individually as we move forward to move forward with the systemic things. I like to hear, thank you for your responses. I, I appreciate them. I'd like to hear from a couple other folks that are on the line. So this is Katie, the host. If you'd like to raise your hand, if you're on the telephone, it's star nine. If you're on a Windows PC, it is alt Y. If you're on the Mac, it's option Y. And if you're using the iPad or iPhone Zoom app, you'll double tap on that raise hand button. Okay. And there are no hands. No hands so far. Give you guys a minute and then we're gonna move yeah. forward. Uh, this is Annie, I'll, I'll jump in. I, Thank you. I was hoping. Um, so I think of myself as, like Joe, I'm past the street level, um, but I, I want to be a supporter or a convener, you know, mm -hmm. like a conduit. I, I want to be able to uh, maybe not be the person in the lead, but be that person who is number two and saying, yeah, this is what we want. Yes. How can I help? Yes. I, I feel that at this point, that, that would be my position as an officer in ACB of New York and also just in my, in my, in my position and just life in general. <laughs> I mean, I am, uh, you know, I'm a senior now, you know, oh, that's a weird thing for me to consider, but um I want to support where the support is need. I wanted to support where the support's needed, and but I, I'm not sure where to start. You know, so. uh, Annie, may, may I may I just uh, say that you know you have a special gift, and um, you know maybe through your poetry, you know your poetry mm. gets published, and you know you uh, have a platform, you know where we all uh, listen to your uh, great work. Uh, that would be a great area, I think, to 
you know, at least explore this. Well, thank you, Joe. I, yeah, yeah I, that's I, a good I, idea. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful area to explore. Um, through the poetry, there's a phone that's up. Through yes, 8908. You can go ahead and talk. Uh, okay. Um, this is Bob from Greater New York. Um, we in New York, as you might expect, have pretty good diversity on our, in our group. Uh, we have, for example, this wasn't planned. It just happens to be because of their skills. We, uh, both our president and vice president are African-American, you know, and we have, we have Jews, we have uh, African-Americans, uh, we, you know, and, I, you know, so we have, we're pretty well represented in our um, group's uh, offices and board of directors and so forth. Um, what I have done through my life is if there's a person, uh, anybody, and I've, I've helped uh, people of, of, of various minority groups, help them individually uh, be, from behind the scenes. For example, I'll just give, just give you one example. I have a friend of mine, African-American, going to Columbia Law School, and he needed some help. Uh, and at the time I was unemployed, and so I was able to, he needed some, uh, um, he was part of a, uh, what they called the moot court, and they needed transcribing done. Uh, you know, and they couldn't pay anybody to do it. So I, I said, yeah, I'll do it, and, and so forth. And I think one of the ways we can do this is just helping people on an individual level and encouraging, if, if we know somebody, you know, encouraging a person to, uh, to step up and take a lead. And if that person is in a leading role or somehow, and we can help that person individually, just quietly supporting that person, I think that's, uh, that goes a long way also. I think you're right. I, I know you're right. When you have a personal level, or even if you get to know someone on a personal level, I, I, I believe a lot of this racism um, stuff that's been brewing for hundreds of years, you know, it started out one way, but now there's a lot of people, there's ignorance when it comes to culture. There's ignorance, you know, you know, when it comes to this whole anti-racism movement, because some people still can't see. Um, what I've learned is one way to look at ourselves and figure out where our biases come from. You know, they've come from a, maybe our parents, our community, uh, where we live, and we develop these um, biases that stick around with us and until we question that bias it's always going to be a part of our decision making or how we approach people so um when you talked about helping people it's it's all about getting to know folks that you don't know getting to share you know your love or expertise to that person and, and then moving together in a unified way. So building relationships is very important when it comes down to breaking down barriers. Any more comments? Uh, thank you very much for that last comment. We have, um, on the panel, we have Michael O'Brien. You can unmute. Okay. Hey, Michael.
you're still muted, Michael. So um, it's Alt A if you're on a PC. I'm sorry. I thought I had been unmuted. I was at a different place. Uh, anyway, I apologize. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not African American, so I can't presume to uh, speak for the African American community or, or um, uh, th think I know everything there is to know about this. But just looking at this and comparing it to other experiences I've had, I think this issue uh, that that BLM is concerned with is part of a larger issue of profiling in general, um, I, I, of which race is part. I think that people who are in maybe the helping professions, social work, counseling, or um, for allied professions such as uh, protective positions such as police officers and sheriffs, et cetera, when you've been practicing and, and working in certain uh, you know, challenging environments for a while, I think there comes a point sometimes if you're not careful that you think uh, when somebody looks a certain way or talks a certain way that mm -hmm. automatically you're going to, you're, you, you're going to profile them and, and you're, going to, you're going to think that you know what they're all about and what they're going to do next. And you, don't, you, can, you can, if you're not careful, stop treating people as individuals and start treating them as you know, a typical member of whatever group we're talking about. So that, that's just my take on this whole thing, that I, I, I think it, it's a problem of, of unfair profiling in general. And, and I, then we... I believe that that could be under bias too. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. A lot of people that's done done uh, i mean that it's we've done it for so many years we're going to keep on doing it and and um and it's okay but it's not okay and right and and, and it's taken so long i appreciate your your comment it's not okay and it needs to be addressed by you know not only victims but people that are standing by and seeing this that we need to address this and look at our system and look at the inequity and and look at profiling, you know, because if everybody looks one way, that means they got a gun and they're going to do something. And that's not it. And and it's been the case uh, for the last few shootings where people didn't have anything, you know, when it comes to police brutality. But then the police walk away, you know, uncharged. And, and it, it makes me sick, and it should make some of you guys sick, you know, that someone could get away with that. And the way to feel sick, if you don't, is think if that was your son or daughter that was pinned down there, had no gun, no one listened, and they got killed. It would make you sick. So I thank you. I, that profiling is a big thing, and it's only one part of this because that's under police brutality or it's under people in fear. You know, if I look one way coming down the street and the lady sees me, she's going to clutch her purse or maybe move over closer to the wall to make sure that I don't attack her. There was a Jasmine, Yasmin. Yes, Yasmin, you can go ahead and unmute. Hi. 
Um, I just wanted to say, um, can you guys hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say as a African-American woman, um, I do have a, a teenage son who is um, African-American as well. And, you know, lately what I've been doing with him is just making sure, you know, I really have that conversation with him about how he moves in the street, you know, what he needs to do if he's ever approached by, you know, police and, you know, if a situation is going on or even just, you know, people in general to make sure that he has the knowledge that he needs, um, that way he will come home safely to me. So um, I think um, it's really all about, um, you know, teaching, teaching the kids, um, you know, because as a teenager, you know, they think they know everything. I remember when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything too. But, you know, these are different times now and it's more um, of like really in your face. So, you know, we watch the, you know, George Floyd thing, the Breonna Taylor, we watched all of those things and I just really just kept talking to him about, you know, this is what's going on in society and, you know, unfortunately, but, you know, there are ways to protect yourself out here if you need to. Thank you. Thank you. So we have to educate our children and, and, you know, because it is what it is. If they go out blind, the wrong way they could be the next victim. I'm sorry to say that. Are there any more comments? This is Annie. Um, NPR Radio had a very powerful uh, podcast about the talk that mm-hmm. African-American moms have to have with their sons. And at the end, I was in tears because I never had to have that talk with my kids. Wow. Just wanted to share that. Wow. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. I know it's tough. The way the world is today, we have to have the talk. We have to. Thank you for being transparent. Karen? Uh, me, I guess. We have a, yes, um, we have a phone number. Go ahead. Okay. I I'm, I'm, want to say that I think we need to learn to treat people as people, not as black or Jewish or Muslim or anything. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated or that you would treat your friend. And we need to learn that. And sometimes it's hard, but we're all trying for the same thing. In in this group, we're all um, advocating for the same stuff, and we need to, to see people that way. I think you're absolutely right, Karen. I think the bottom line is that is the ultimate bottom line. You know, because when I look at this and there's all kinds of fixes or, or strategies for the systemic things, and, and it's deep-rooted, so it's going to take a long time. But if we morally don't pick this up, if everybody doesn't pick this up, you know, do unto others as they do to you. You know, if we don't pick this up, if we don't unify, you know, there's still going to be problems. You know, there's still going to be people with great bias. And this is a large problem. It's not going to go away 
and and you know after a couple training sessions, you know. But I do believe it begins with a earnest talk with each of us being truthful and talking through what we need to talk through. And then on the other end, organizations developing policies that create equity, you know, down from the board to the staff through, you know, everything they can that says that develops a culture of equity and, and service to all. So um, it looks like your hand's back up or anything um, else. Karen, Karen has her hand up. Hi. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a different Karen. I'm actually the ACB state president. Yes, I know folks, I said I was going to bed, hey. I lied. Um, you know, what's interesting about the blind community, um, I, I'm totally blind. I don't see color. I think what would be a fascinating experiment is if more people could not see. I know that sounds awful, but do you like the person you're standing in front of as a person without ever knowing race, religion, gender identification? In some ways, you know, I, I feel, I don't want to say I feel blessed that I'm blind, but I would like to consider myself a, a very open person to everybody and I just wish more people could judge people for people not for the mm -hmm. color not for the race not for the religion not for the sexual orientation and as leader of this organization is something that we are trying to push forward with but right. if there were exercises we could do in in the world outside of blindness but to blindfold people and say how do you like this person? Talk to them. Sit down and talk to them. Not knowing what color, race, religion, anything they are. It would be a fascinating experiment. And maybe that would open the minds of people to see that people are just people. I think that's a great comment. I think Thank that's you. a great comment. Because sometimes the color of one's skin, their sexual orientation, ethnicity turns you off before you get to know that person. What would it be like if you just get to know someone before, before uh, you know their color? And, and I, thank you, Karen. I don't know how to devise that, but you know, that's something you need to look at the association. I think you have something there. There's a phone. Yes, Bob, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, 50 years ago, many of us went to schools for the blind, residential schools. And being in New York City, we had a fair amount of, of people from all kinds of backgrounds. We slept together in the rooms. We ate together. We, certainly went, we were on the same sports teams. Even in plays, there were plays where the character, the race of the, of the person had nothing to do. So you had mixed-race families. If the point being, oh, and also there were when you know dating and all that came around, you you mm -hmm. found what, many more interracial couples, right? Uh, oh. And the point is because we just knew each other as individuals, and that's all that counted, um, and and that's really where it's at. And um, so we had that fort we had that fortunate experience 
we didn't live in segregated neighborhoods or anything and just even come into uh, somewhat contact with other people. We lived with them. Uh, and uh, I have a question for you that you might – what about people who serve in the military who also have to be in very close uh, situations with all kinds of people? Do you find out they come out of the military uh, less prejudiced? That's a question for you. Do you know? <laughs> you know, you know what? I, mm, I've never been part of the military. I'll tell you this. Um, I've been on sports teams, interracial sports teams, when, when there were racial things going on. And I've seen those folks build a friendship through sports that is beyond the sport team, you know, Till today, I went to my high school reunion, not counting college, and everybody was there loving on each other. And, and that was one thing that I noticed myself. It was being in those close quarters, even though we could see, you know, and playing together because our whole thing was to win. And while we might have had pre uh, some um, predisposed biases in the beginning of the season at the end of those season for the most part they were gone when it came to teams so I haven't been in the military but you feel there has to be some kind of bond especially if you're fighting together to save each other's lives so I don't know if I answered your question but I think being together is another way of building relationships and getting to know people as people versus the black guy or the white guy or the Hispanic guy, you know, or woman. So I, I do believe that is what you're saying is valid. Terrence. Thank you for your comment. Go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. This we can is, hear you. Uh, hello. This uh, is Terrence Page. Um, I have a couple of things. I'm an African-American male and I've had many encounters with the police and I've never many, many encounters with the police. The problem I'm having with this, I'm a student of history, is you have to understand the history of America and the concepts of, of the concepts of slavery and the history of America that brought mm -hmm. us here to lead to the social, the social values that are underpinning all of this. When you don't see people for their history, you can't see them as a person. Everybody has a history that's related to this country. When you don't understand the history of America and its effect on black people and their culture and the psychology and the American zeitgeist of racism, you're going to run into some serious issues. To understand the relationship of my Jewish friends, you have to learn the history of how Jews were treated. To understand anybody, you have to know the history before you can address them. You cannot say to a person, I, we are friends, if you don't know anything about them. You can't live with someone until you know something about them. You can't love another human being until you know who they are. How can we pretend that color or racism is about color? It isn't. It's a concept. It is a concept. You can be blind and see, that concept will affect you anywhere. It's something you're told. Mm -hmm. It's in the gravy of the country. You can't 
Racism has nothing to do with color. It's a social ill. Until you understand history, until more people decide to choose to learn the true history of the United States and how it got its wealth and who African-American, the people, the disenfranchised people who got us to where we are, we will never treat each other as fair. Education frees us from ignorance. When people say that, you know, I don't see you or I don't see you, you don't see me as an African-American man. And you don't understand who I am because everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have to know the history of who I am, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. You know what? You are correct, Terrence. And racism is social. Racism basically is a way that it advantages one population to disadvantage another, you know, and and it has been 400 years of slavery and it's the underpinning of uh, someone being treated as if they weren't even a man or a human. And, and the country was built on the backbones of that. And that is pervasive and persistent still today. You know, when it comes to looking at structural racism and a system that's been built over 400 years, I I do believe when looking at that, when looking at that and knowing that, and and African-American history had been erased from the history book, and now we're starting to see that. I think Um, There's for many reasons this movement is live right now, where for many years it was, it wasn't as live, it wasn't a a worldwide um, movement as it is now. But you're right, that is the underpinning, that is to take the Constitution and, and say that, well, that says everybody has inalienable rights, and, and then but back then we weren't considered man, so we didn't um, we did not take the constitution out of context. You know, uh, we weren't considered man, and it, and there were slaves. And 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 what bothers me about it is even uh, the Christian the churches, Calvin Calvinism, and and that was there, and it was in the middle. Everybody had slave. You know. And and that has been persistent. And you're right, talking about we have to know the history and where privilege came from. So I see a hand. And we yeah, can- Lori? Yes. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, so I, I have to wholeheartedly say that this conversation is long overdue. Um, and, um, I think as blind people, if we say that we don't see color, there's a huge problem because it is not about the color of your skin. It's so much more than that. And it's also about the language you use. It's about the way you 
interact with somebody by respecting space. And I really would hope that this might be the first step in a longer, more in-depth discussion. And I don't know, but I attended the two two two-hour sessions that ACB National um, hosted through the Multicultural Affairs Committee and found those to be extremely informative and allowed for some very good dialogue. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I have a comment. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I would... I can say that uh, I have not been as fortunate as Terence, um, and I'm not sure if this has to do with um, perhaps I was cited at the time or I appeared to be cited because the times that I had, or that at least police had issues with me, were times you know when I wasn't carrying a white cane. Um, however, the other issue, and you know we. Uh, we, you know, we talk about this intersectionality, um, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering the role of the environment, because um, I could further say that in environments where um, I have been with police, um, and I'm just using them as the example, since you know this is uh, basically the crux of you know I think the uproar. Um, you know, uh, everything goes fine. Um, you know, uh, uh, and I'll cite places. Uh, I worked in an emergency room. Uh, police are always there in and out and, um, they're very friendly. Everything is good. Um, I've worked on the, um, uh, emergency preparedness, uh, committee, uh, here in West, in Westchester. And, um, you know, uh, we deal with the police all the time and everything is fine. However, as an old man sitting in the Westchester uh, Renewal train station, I was threatened by police. Um, as a young man uh, with MD plates on my car, double parked, uh, waiting for my brother to come out of the hardware store, um, I uh, was um, threatened with uh, uh, um, deadly force. Uh, for nothing, <laughs> but just sitting in a car and being black. So I think our experiences are different. Uh, and um, I'm just wondering, you know, this environment thing, you know, if you're out in the street, um, you know, uh, and people don't know you, they fall back on their biases. Yep. And Zoom webinar window. Low. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And that's a good comment. They they don't know you. They fall back on your biases. I want to say something. Somebody talked about the conversation. That has been the best way to start this and have people like Terrence put it out there, put out what's on your heart, and, and let's deal with it. For, for so many years, maybe one party's put it out and no one's listening. People are listening. This is a safe place. Um if there, there's some problems, and she, he brought up a valid point, and then the young lady that talked about the conversation brought up 
a point because there's nowhere else to start this. I could have started this out lecturing. You could have got some valuable information if you didn't have it. And I will give you some. But I think it's for what is on your heart and how do we move forward? Somebody say that they hope this is step one. Well, in the end, I'm going to say, where do we go from here? You know, so we so we don't drop this, drop the ball. So there's two hands up. Yes, we have um, Fitzville. Go ahead. How you doing? My name is Fitzville Martin. So <clears throat> I'm in hip hop. I do hip hop. I run an entertainment company. Mm -hmm. I've been running an entertainment company for the last 20 years. I'm in Canarsie, Brooklyn, where everything you hear it all on the news every day. I'm a part of. I'm a part of what you hear is going on in the news right now. Um, I face that. I see the kids every day. I run a studio, so I deal with the younger guys every day. I see what they're going through. It's it's difficult out here. And just like, you know, I'm backing up a lot of things that Terrence said. A lot of this racism has already been taught, you know. I went to – I've been – I had my vision problem my whole life. So I went to Lavelle. I've been in the blind community my whole life. I can tell – you know, a person, their history by just talking to them. So, you know, racism is something that was taught. And in order for us to get rid of it, we got to go to that root of it. Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Do you feel because you're in hip hop, you are, you're I'm, I'm victimized the or? We're the target. We're the target. We're yeah. definitely the target. Like, um, Whenever it's oh my god, I wouldn't even know where to start. I've been running this, <laughs> I've been running the music a recording studio for 20 years, and we get the most surveillance. Like, I've had where cops have moved in next to my studio and said it they thought we was you know doing illegal activity, but <clears throat> whenever, whenever one person went to the studio, they would stay for four hours or more, so it couldn't have been when they found out it was an illegal activity, they left. I've been targeted my whole, for the last 20 years doing the studio thing. I've seen the worst of police. I'm in the hip hop field. I see it every day. Well, they tried to eradicate hip hop when they came, when it went gangster. They could, and I actually, it, it broadened. There's a broad target, you know, everybody loves it, you know, from the younger generation. But I believe the bias of the old generation, the bias that was there, you know, against the rap, you know, because they targeted the police and what they were doing, I think it still pervades. And um, and we we need to do something about that, but I think it does still pervade. Um, and I thank you for working with the kids, you know. Yes. And I, I'm I'm open, like listening listening to this meeting. Um, you know, I want to be that connect between yeah. the older thought process and the younger thought process. That's that's who I want. You know, that's the that's part of kind of what we need. Yes, because the younger got you know this great energy. They're ready to move. They're not having it no more. The exactly. older do, does have some wisdom. There's some that are still stuck. It's not guided. Folks that really want to tie into to younger folks. And that connect does have to happen. Somebody older folks need to tie into what you're doing. Yes. And and, and give some history behind it for yes. what you went through. Yes. So so we bring this next generation up the right way. 
Exactly. I, I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you, man. I just need that connection, and instead of alienating the youth, because we're going to need them no matter what in the future. Yep. You're right. You're right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. All right. This is, this is Annie. I mean, they're our future. We we need to invest yes, in are. them. That's right. And validate them and mentor them and understand how they think. I, I just think about my own daughter who's 25. And sometimes I think, I don't get her. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but then I make an effort to, to be mindful of that and understand how she might be thinking, you know, which is different than how I think or how I feel. It's, it's, it's a lot of work sometimes. So, but it has to, has to be done. It has to be appreciated and, 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 and made purposeful, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah. I see um, Yasmin, your hand is up. Yes. Um, I just wanted to say, um, you know, in today's times now, they're not only just just targeting and killing African-American men, they are also going after the women as well. So we mm. can't forget Sandra Bland. We can't forget Breonna Taylor. Yeah. So, and, and now more than ever on social media, people are starting to see like who they like the people that they are friends with on social media, like their views starting to come out when certain when things come up. So I know a lot of people have like unfriended, blocked, you know, just ended uh, friendships over just a comment over something that was said in response to, um, you know, someone who was killed. And, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe or think, oh my God, they would think that way. But when you see it on social media, when they post something and it's just like, oh my God, I can't believe you you said that I, I've, you know, since maybe like the last few months, I've been seeing friends of mine say, like, start off a post saying, if you disagree with this, unfriend me, <laughs> you mm. know, just to start, because, you know, they may say something that, um, you know, they may not agree with. And if you're going to, you know, for other people that are not African American, if you're going to stand with us, then I would say that make sure you can handle that backlash that comes along with it. And really and truly, if you're really going to be, you know, be with like Black Lives Matter, you know, you really understand what the cause is and why they are fighting for what they are fighting for and protesting for. Because, um, you know, it, it, it really doesn't affect most people like this, of other races like this. So unless you are in the throes of it, you will truly not understand this. And how, you know, really like emotional and, and hurtful it is to see that in this year of 2020 that we still have to, um, you know, we're not getting the justice that we need or, you know, in these cases that are, you know, being prosecuted and we're still not getting the justice in this year 2020. So I just wanted to say, you know, if you're going to stand in support, really and truly, honestly, be prepared to, you may lose some friends, you may lose some family members because, mm -hmm. you know, they're like, what are you doing? Like, how could you stand with them? How could you, you know, this doesn't affect you. So really and truly, honestly, be prepared and, and really be honest and think about, okay, am I going to support a cause and, and, and then make your decision? 
Thank you. Thank you very much for that. That that's it. Just don't say you're going to support. There's something we need to do to support. I see another hand. Yes, Karen. Hi. Yes, I just I want to follow up a little bit. It seemed like I offended people with comment about not being able to see color. And I, I think it was taken out of context a little bit. I'd like to consider myself a fairly educated person and I'm not talking about curricular education. Um, I have been in most places all over the world. Um, I, think, I think what Terrence said is right to understand the history, but, and I do, I, I can feel how passionate he is about that and how important it is. With saying that, you also said, but where do we, how do we go forward from here? And that is something that I would like to really hear everybody address because a lot of us do understand the history. Although I will never say that I can feel what people like Terrence or, or Yasmin or, or anybody has felt unless I've walked in their shoes. I would never presume to say something like that. I am a suburban white Polish um, person. Um, I can't understand, I, I can't feel the pain and the suffering that, that you have felt throughout your life. But with, but with saying that, I will say that for myself, I don't judge. And I do feel like I can befriend people. Pe people, I, I'm 50 years old. People don't know every step I've taken in my life over the last 50 years. Some people that may, may say, oh my, I don't really want to know her. Um, it's, it's about, it is about how to move forward from here. So I guess I'll, I'll pose the question at this point. How do we, as an organization, as people, as human being, um, move, move forward from this? I have children. I have four children. I have four grandchildren. Um, I would like to believe that I've raised all of my kids uh, to not be judgmental in their life. Uh, I have a son who's 16 and is a student at the New York State School for the Blind. Um, there are kids from all over that attend the school. Um, all different races, creeds, sexual orientation, any, anything. You can, they're, they're all together and they're all friends. So it, it's our responsibility as the parents, yes, to teach our kids. But how do we move forward then as a whole? Jean? Hi. Um, I have some thoughts on... I'm not going to be popular for some of them, but too bad. Um, I personally am not comfortable with the exp expression Black Lives Matter, not because they don't matter, they do, but all lives matter. And I don't know, I don't know why the situations are the way they are with the police. I don't know, you know, there's some bad apples in every profession. So there's some police that shouldn't be there that have big egos. There's some police who probably have been on the job too long and have seen too much and need some time off or some counseling or something, but are afraid to ask for it because, you know, it looks bad. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'd love to know, you know, for some of the things that, that, that the black people are, I shouldn't say that, but people of color are stopped for. 
Um, well, sometimes they're stopped for stupid little things. We all know that. Um, I do wonder sometimes with the crimes that are committed, if, if they are committed more by people of color or they're just ignored more if you're a white person. But the thing that I want to know is ever since, the, even before George Floyd, um, every time a, a black person is shot by a white policeman, um, whether it's the policeman's fault or not, sometimes it is, I don't know if it always is, there's all these protests and everything. But why aren't black people protesting about all the black people that are being shot by black people? Or should I say people of color? I, I think most of them are black, but probably not all. But I've noticed, I don't know if it's like this in every other city, but in, all, in the whole capital district area where I live, the, the, the number of shootings are up so high. And what are, what are all these people doing with guns in the first place? I'll just say that you asked a thousand questions and it'll take us all day to go through that. <laughs> I know, I know. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but it's important, I think, to, to try. So, you know, I'm, I'll just defer and let some people get started. It's... Okay, oh, or maybe I'll just start. I'll just say. Well, uh, well I did. Okay, I'm sorry. Sir. Go right ahead. You know what? I don't remember them all, but let's talk about this one. And I'd like to hear your views, Terrence and Fitz, Fitzfield. Why do Black Lives Matter? I mean, I could tell you they, that's coming up because for 400 years they didn't matter. And it's not a call against unity. Mm-hmm. Call to bring unity. So um, that's why they matter. For, for years we weren't even considered equals. And 400 years of slavery, disenfranchisement, uh, you name it, discrimination. Um, and it's time to take a stand to say our lives matter too. So it's not a call against other lives don't matter. But, you know, um, Fitzville or, or Terrence, would you like to comment? We have a hand up from a phone number. Um, zero nine nine four. Go ahead. Oh yes, two nine nine four. Hi, Katie. Uh, yes, this is Merrill Schechter from Maryland, and I wanted to say that uh, I, like Lori, also listened to the Multicultural Affairs Committee sessions. They were very informative. And when I was growing up in New York, um, I first met blind um, African Americans at the New York. Uh, Lighthouse um, for the Blind at the Recreation Program. And they're my brothers and sisters, and I've always felt like that. And we need to have communication and dialogue continuously for all this, um, you know, hatred to stop, and, and people need to understand each other, like the age of Aquarius, you know. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Grant, You're welcome. Dr. Anderson. Okay, well, I was just going to speak to the, my, at least, you know, my feelings about the crime issue um, okay. and, um, you know, black on black crime, because that's always brought up as well, you know, people are killing each other, you know, but um, that's criminal behavior. Um, and um, 
as Terence said, you got to look at the history uh, to see, um, you know, that um, systemically uh, we've been discriminated against. We don't have much, um, you know, and, um, you know, it's every man for himself. I'm not condoning criminal behavior, but uh, the reason that people don't, I suspect, make a big deal of it is it's criminal behavior and people, uh, the police get involved, they hopefully find the person that does it and, you know, they go to court and things are done. Um, and, uh, but uh, uh, for hundreds of years, uh, black people have been killed um, and uh, there's been no justice uh, from the times when we were enslaved, as Terrence mentioned, uh, through the um, uh, Jim Crow area where hundreds in Mississippi uh, is, was pretty notorious, hundreds of black people, uh, women, children, uh, and men uh, were hanged. They were um, dismembered uh, for uh, little, uh, little crimes like, like making more money than me or, uh, you know, uh, having something that someone wanted, like a house, um, then I would just wrap up by saying that the reason for the uproar when uh, Black people are killed in the street the way um, George, George Floyd was, is that, uh, you know, this is uh, government-sanctioned crime. These are, pe people have a right, uh, you know, if some, if the police find that they have a, uh, some, they have a, a you know, they, they want to arrest them, then that's their job to arrest them. But they're not to be a arresting officer, um, a prosecutor, a judge, and a jury, an executioner in the street. Uh, there's the equal right to uh, uh, um, the Amendment 14, uh, mm -hmm. equal justice under the law. That's the, the law of this land. So that's why everybody is upset when people break into uh, a household, and that's usually in our neighborhoods, uh, and start shooting without announcing themselves yeah. and kill an innocent person. So these are the issues that um, I think, you know, we have to look at. Terrence? Uh, yes. Um, I'd, I'd like to answer some of her Jean Men's questions. Let's be clear. When I mention being a student of history, you also have to be a a student of sociology. When you put a group of people anywhere in the ghettos of Europe during World War II, anywhere, when you take a group of people and put them in an area where they can't move without being tracked, where they can't get housing, where they're selling drugs to feed their family, then you take in people who don't live in that community and sell them guns. Because the guns are not made in the African-American community. They're shipped into the African-American community, mm -hmm. usually from states mm -hmm. and other people using guns to make money to sell to these communities. So instead of selling an argument with a punch or a fist while you're trapped in this cage of oppression, not being able to move, not being able to get a job, where you've been redlined, and history has made it that you can't move into that neighborhood, you can't move into this neighborhood, and if you try to leave your neighborhood, the police follow you or they follow you in supermarkets, you build up a certain level of stress and you take any people, if you study any culture, as I mentioned, the ghettos of Krakow or Poland or any of these places where you take a group of people and put them in a situation and then you infuse weapons from outside of that community, you're going to have untold violence, especially when they can't take it out on their oppressor. They're going to take it out on each other. 
That doesn't mean that it's okay. African-Americans yeah. of different class hate this violence. You have to be in the community to hear how they complain about it. Doesn't mean the media or other people are talking about this violence, but the African-American community hates this violence. They despise criminal activity. When the police do their jobs, African-Americans are happy too, because we think they're bad people in our community too, who need yep. to go to jail. Mm -hmm. So we definitely don't support the violence. I just wanted yep. to say that. Thank you for listening. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. We got several hands. Um, yes, we do. All right, so um, Sandra. You should be able to unmute Sandra. <laughs> Sandra, are you there? All right, well, while we're waiting on Sandra, um, I believe I saw um, Yasmin, your hand was up. Yes, um, I just wanted to may maybe make a suggestion to Jean. Um, I think if you if you have cable, if you have HBO, they have a lot of um, documentaries that they have done, um, uh, like the Sandra Bland. They have, uh, I believe, a George Floyd documentary as well. So maybe if you. Um, would watch one of those documentaries and just, you know, just for argument's sake, just put yourself in, in, you know, like the shoe on the other foot kind of thing as you're watching one of these um, documentaries. And I think maybe you'll get a, a little more understanding. I mean, you don't have to be um, Black to understand, um, you know, that if someone gets shot, you know, everybody's going to be upset and, and sad and it's hurtful, it's a loss. Um, that's, I think, something that everybody understands. I think that's universal. But, um, you know, just to, like, I had to go back and watch a lot of these documentaries myself because, I mean, I followed it in the news, but, you know, the news is only maybe five, 10 minutes about what happened. But if you really want the whole story, you have to go back and watch these documentaries because they putting them out like like so that's how important they are to show others you know show the world like really what's going on in um in the african-american community and just like what terrence said um you know we don't we don't want the violence in our own neighborhoods either but and you know i know respectable police officers as well and um you know i don't i've never had a problem with the police and i know that they are out there to protect me but, and I know that everybody, you know, there's always, um, you know, a bad apple in the bunch. We understand that. But when it's too many of the bad apples, um, you know, killing people left and right, and it's, and that's all that's being put out on the news, it's going to cause something inside of you. I mean, and like I said, you don't have to be African American just to under, to have like compassion, to understand that compassion. That's right. And, um, you know, to when you see something like that, like it's a tragedy, you know, for someone to lose mm -hmm. their life, no matter how they lose it. But, you know, for us as African-Americans, it's, you know, something that's gone back um, again, 
more than 400 years now. And, you know, we're still, again, not getting the justice. So could you imagine, you know, God forbid that was, you know, if you put yourself in a situation, not in a situation, but if you could understand, like, you're in your own home and the cops bust in and, you know, shoot you, you were asleep and they shot you 11, 12 times, you know, or could you imagine if they were just shooting a whole community of blind people? There, there's going to be some kind of reaction from that community to say, like, what's going on? We need more, you know, we need action here, mm-hmm. we need justice here. So if, if you may, you know, if you could kind of look at it in, in those kind of examples, I think you may have, you know, just a little bit, bit more understanding of, you know, what we feel. Thank yeah. you. Sandra? Go ahead. Yes, Katie, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Glad you got unmuted. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> me too. Sorry, <laughs> not sure what happened there. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, give the um, ACB of New York, you guys have, I'm giving you major props. Um, I think the more conversations like this that we have, the better. Um, just a couple things come to mind. Um, I, I think the, the, the mantra um, Black Lives Matter. You know, we, we, I would like there to be a day when all lives matter. But here's the thing. If all lives mattered, Black people would not be getting shot, hurt, brutalized mm-hmm. by police um, at such a ridiculously and disproportionately higher rate than everyone else. So clearly some lives matter and some don't. Um, you know, all lives matter is a wonderful concept and I hope to, I truly hope that in my lifetime that becomes true. But so long as some people's lives are valued more highly than others, there's gonna be a Black Lives Matter. Okay? Um, and, and like everyone else has said, Okay, most of, most African American people of color are law-abiding, tax-paying citizens who work to improve their communities, to leave them better off than they find them. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but I think that there is is a different threshold. You you're you're asking about why there's no um, protest in the African community community on black on black violence that's not true there's there now the media may choose not to cover it but that doesn't mean that um black people people of color have not raised their voice in opposition to black on black crime but here's the other thing as bad as that is you're still comparing apples to oranges because these police officers, these, these white police, police officers that are shooting unarmed men, that are standing on people's necks, the threshold is higher for them because they have taken an oath to serve and protect. So you're not talking about a, an average Joe Blow on the street. You're talking about a, a person who has taken an oath to serve and protect versus two people on the street that get into an argument or a a shootout over some sneakers. Well, neither one of those people, those individuals are policemen. 
Yes, it is bad. No, it, you know, it absolutely should not happen. But the, the individuals in the second scenario are just that, individuals. Whereas in the first scenario, you have somebody who has pledged to uphold, not tear down. That's the difference. Thank you. Jean, go ahead. Um, I think if the, the slogan saying, whatever you want to call it, was Black Lives Matter too, I would feel more comfortable with it. Because Black Lives Matter just to me sounds like Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. You know, that's just Black Lives Matter. And I would never go around saying white lives matter, you know, but maybe if, maybe if it's a black lives matter too, I would feel more comfortable. Um, the other thing, and I, I probably shouldn't even get into this, but um, I knew which case you were talking about with the policeman coming in the apartment and shooting. Well, there was two, there was a one in Dallas where that crazy woman thought she was in her own apartment. Uh, she definitely, you know, deserved to get what she got. Um, the other one, there is there is controversy about whether they did knock, and the boyfriend did shoot first. Now, granted, the police didn't need to shoot as many times as they did, but and and and, and I I believe he didn't realize they were policemen. But when you shoot at a policeman, you know chances are something bad's going to happen. Um, I'm not saying, like I said, that they needed to shoot her so many times, um, but but when you do shoot at a policeman, something's going to happen. And I guess, I guess that's all I'm going to say. I don't have home box office. I won't be watching those documentaries. I, I have seen plenty of them about, you know, what went on with the slaves and, and the horrible things that were done in the Jim Crow years. Um, I am aware of a lot of that. Um, at convention last summer, there was one of the tours I did. I don't know if I did the whole thing, but they talked about the fact that depending on where you were in the country, um, there were Indians who were taken as slaves. There were white people who were taken as slaves. Now, granted, none of them, it, there weren't nearly as many as, as the black people. Um, I, I guess it's just something that we're going to have to work on. That's all. Um, I'd just like to mention, I suspect you know that Black Lives Matter is not only a slogan, but it's an organization. And, um, you know, they're uh, communi community organizers who um, organized the community in order to uh, try to right these wrongs through uh, legal and other means um, so that uh, Black Lives Matter is more than just a slogan. Um, it's actually a movement and it's composed of people who are trying to right these wrongs. So I think that's very important to understand. Thank you for your comments. Are there any more comments or Anything else uh, someone has on their heart? Um, no. It's no? <laughs> Hi, Megan. Hi. Um, so I guess uh, just following up on the conversations um, we've been having, I think because we're in New York, it's important to point out the very recent history. You know, we've heard a few people from New York City talking about how great it is to be in New York City, um, where you went to school or whatever with a lot of diversity. But um, we also had stop and frisk until very recently. 
uh, in New York City, um, which maybe some people don't know what that is, um, but it's where police specifically target neighborhoods with people of color and mm. over police them. And they have the ability, you know, if they just get a call that's, you know, a man, a black man has a gun, you know, they w can jump out of the car and knock you to the ground and frisk you. Um, I had, you know, used to work in Yonkers, uh, just north of the Bronx and had a coworker who had uh, quite a number of stories uh, where he'd just be trying to walk home from work. Um, and that very thing would happen to him. Um, and the indignity and the trauma, I'm sure, um, you know, sticks with a person. But also, if you have anything on you, even if you haven't done anything wrong, they basically have a blank check. Um, to, so that's why there's so many more people of color in jails. It's a big part of it. Um, you know, it's not cause necessarily because people of color are uh, committing crimes at higher rates. It's because they're being targeted much more in the neighborhoods they live in. And, you know, these policies uh, allow police to just stop you. And, that, and that's what has happened um, systematically um, right here in New York. Um, and so, you know, I just think it's important to understand the history of slavery, but it's also important to understand, like, our very recent history uh, and what's been happening to, um, like, you know, people, um, your neighbors, basically. Well, you know, if I, if I can uh, just jump in there and say that, you know, that's a, a very um, interesting point and it can be traced back. And that's why we call it a systemic problem. Because you remember after Reconstruction, right at the beginning of John Crow, Jim Crow, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, these black laws were enacted in the South. And these black laws basically are loitering uh, so black people can could be picked up for loitering and serve time uh, in jail black people could be uh, picked up if three or more uh, were in a group because obviously that's a conspiracy uh, and be jailed um, and obviously they could be stopped at any time um, particularly if they're in the wrong community and that's uh, that basically is where uh, stop and frisk come from and, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's still going on, not to the extent uh, that it did in the past, but it's still, uh, you know, going on uh, in our communities, you know, where police can just stop you and, um, and uh, you know, basically throw you against the wall and, and uh, you know, uh, do whatever they like. Um, and the other interesting thing that I'm sure you all know is that the percentage of uh, people who are found to uh, possess something or be unlawful uh, when they're stopped and frisked is a very small percentage. And the other, the last issue would be that the people who are stopped are generally people of color. Um, and the amount of uh, white people who are stopped uh, are a fraction of that. And of course, in their own community, if you're in a white community, then it's not likely that you're gonna get stopped at all. Thank you for those, those points. Uh, mass incarnation, is another way to enslave and uh, bind us systemically. Because once you go into that jail, then you're locked out of housing, good employment, and a whole lot of other things you, you could have been afforded before you went there. So the cycle continues and you end up 
but the brother talked about you have to do what you have to do because you've been placed in this community and locked in and, and guns and everything are there and you have no opportunity, you go back to jail. And jail has been big business mm-hmm. owners. So, oh, there is a hand. Great. Yep. Yasmin, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say on that point that you just made that that's why, you know, it's very important to have these conversations with um, our kids um, Mm -hmm. now and start really showing them like these are the choices. If you make a bad decision, this is where you're going to end up because I know my son is so sick and tired of me showing him all of these you know, movies and like, why do we have to watch this and people get, you know, young kids. I told them, I said, kids go to jail too. I said, you know, it's not just as an adult. So when you are, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, they're sending kids to juvenile detention. That's jail for kids. And then if you, you know, don't correct yourself, you know, from that experience, then that's only going to lead you, you know, uh, over to Rikers Island. And then, you know, you, you just are stuck in the system and you're, you're, you know, you may never change your life or you may change your life. But, you know, why have that? Why should you have to have that kind of experience? So I know I make sure I tell my son and I show him, you know, you see these choices that people are making. These are, these are real life decisions when you are not, um, you know, have something to do to keep you occupied and you're not out, you know, that, that way you're not out there running in the street, then, you know, you don't have to worry about going, you know, down that path where, you know, your whole life could get locked up for one bad decision. And it could be simple, you know, just something very simple, but it can ruin your whole life. So, you know, it's, I think I just wanted to say that it's really important to definitely, you, you know, get these kids young. And as Fitz said, you know, how he wants to be that contact between the young and the older generation, you know, they will listen to, most most of the time they will listen to someone who, that looks like them doing the correct thing and showing them other avenues um, to make sure that they're not going to end up in, the, in prison. And I mean, I've lived in other states, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in Georgia, so I've seen outside of New York City, I've been, you know, born and raised in New York City, but I have lived other other places. I've lived in Washington, D.C. I went there for college. So, you know, I'm just, you know, trying to show my son, you know, that there are other avenues that you don't have to always just be stuck in one place, um, you know, in life that, you know, go out and explore and find out about things, educate yourself, because they can't take away education. So as long as you're educating yourself on the things that you want to know about, then, you know, you shouldn't have no problems. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, I don't see any more hands. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys, I, I, we don't have that much time left, but I wanted, um, so I don't know if I'm going to get the microaggressions in. I, I probably won't. I can, if that's what you choose for me to do, or we can talk about next steps. What are the next steps? Where do we go from here? It's up to you guys. You know, if you want to discuss this, where we go from here, let's discuss that. If if you want yes, me to- I think we yes. like that. Yes, yeah. I think we like that. Because we're wondering Definitely. where we need to go from here. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want it to be your choice. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Where do we go from here? Ideas, takeaways from the conversation. Do we have more heart? Do we have more conversation? What concrete things should we do to build this, not just to be a con uh, conversation, but to implement some kind of actions? Stanley, this is Annie. Do you mean within ACB of New York in terms of an organization, ourselves I mean, internally, uh, or both? I, I think both. <laughs> Yeah. From an organizational standpoint. From, yeah. Or if you heard some things that you need to tighten up yourself. Now in. Good. We all need to have personal action plans. There's Fitzville. I mm. think. Ready. How y'all doing? My thing is to pr provide guidance. Provide mm -hmm. guidance and let the youth know where to find the guidance. <laughs> You know, I could sit here and complain about all the things that we have been through, but as long as we can find a way to provide that guidance, so to, and I mean to both sides, to the police and to the youth. That's a great point. And um, we said how important it is for our youth um, to get involved the right way and see how to do things the right way. So this doesn't continue. So that's a great point. Sandra? Um, I think also um, it's important for us to make sure that the youth, because the youth are flooded with negative influences, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's really important to engage our youth on a one-on-one -on -one basis with positive. Um, so the, the, the younger, the youth, the males, um, we need good uh, male role models that are really going to be tangible parts of their lives to show them, you know, not, okay, LeBron James is wonderful and everything, but you'll probably never get to meet LeBron. You know, you need somebody that you can talk to on a regular basis and interact with on a regular basis. We're talking about um, people who are blind and visually impaired. So you factor that in as well. Um, and then if you expand it, it is looking at ACB, you know, who, yes. what do our leader, what, what does our leadership look like? Well, who, who do our leaders look like? Do they look like us? No. Um, if, if you consider that ACB is a microcosm of society, then why is it that we have very few um, minority staff very few minority um, board members, uh, you know, when, so it, it, we can't, it can't be just an afterthought. We have to find a pipeline so that all aspects of the organization, diversity is factored in. So I can start to see myself regardless of which uh, particular aspect of ACB I'm referring to from our PR announcements to our jobs, our employees, our interns, our scholarship winners, our board members, our board of publication members, all of that. Mm -hmm. Excellent point, excellent point. 
Any more comments? Hi, this is Yasmin again. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Please go right okay, ahead. Um, I just wanted to say as far as um, uh, just like Sandra said, I'm not sure of the like total makeup of ACB, but um, since I've been um, a part of um, the, you know, the, the greater New York chapter, I noticed that, um, you know, there are a lot of older members. Um, there's not very many young members um, mm. uh, like a part of the chapters. Um, I come from like a background. I'm a member of a sorority. So what we and my fraternity brothers, they have um, like a youth affiliate. So they mentor younger kids and they, you know, follow them through like maybe like from age 10 on up to um, till they get to college. And then, you know, and having them part of, um, you know, different clubs doing um, fundraising and, and different things like that. So, I mean, I was wondering, I mean, I know with COVID going on that, you know, that is preventing a lot of like outreach to, to happen now, but I'm just like kind of interested to, to hear like, um, has there, has there ever been any kind of outreach like that toward um, younger members? Um, well, not younger members, but to um, maybe, um, you know, younger members who are blind or visually impaired to get them to be a part of or join. Uh, this you know, is Annie. Um, we do have uh, membership for younger members, but part of the scholarship initiative is to um, to get, you know, kids uh, or young people uh, uh, interested, you know, who apply to the scholarship and then um, also help try to keep track of them and keep them in, invested in ACB. It's not always successful. Um, you know, for, I mean, there's all, all kinds of reasons, you know, they're, they're, they're getting their education and they're, you know, they're in college and, you know, maybe ACB isn't the place to be for them, um, you know, but how to change that. So, you know, we, we, we do not have like a youth affiliate. Um, that was one of the reasons why we wanted to try to bring in, um, tomorrow we have an ACB students uh, representative uh, to to see what they think about, you know, you know, get getting younger people, um, and then you know also the other thing is fundraising. You know, uh, in order to bring people in, we have to be able to attract them, and it's 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 hard to attract younger folks if we don't have the same mindset and the same goals, and I think we struggle with that all the time. This is Carrie. Jean? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I would just like to ex expand off what Annie just said a little bit. Um, you know, years ago, I had brought up the concept of a mentoring program for our youth, for exactly the age bracket, Yasmin, that you had just mentioned, from like the 10 and up. And it was it was sad to see, but unfortunately, there wasn't Look at the people that actively wanted to participate. So I guess as, as the state president, I, I can try to do that again. But then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the membership, then you all have to do your part too. That if we try to put this mentoring program together, 
I'm going to need each and every one to step up and say, yes, I will mentor or be a big brother, a big sister to a youth. And we can work on some youth activities, but it, it, it's something, e even at my level at the top, I can't do it alone. I need mm -hmm. membership participation. I'm going to send you an email, Karen. <laughs> Absolutely. You have my number. And I Jean, I see. Okay. I see one your the, hand. Go ahead. One of the problems, um, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow when we talk about the, the um, ACBNY through the decades. When, when we first got into the organization, um, we, we were groomed by people who'd been around a lot longer. Um, and we didn't even realize it was happening because they did a lot of it when we were socializing. But we don't have we don't have the resources today that we had then in those in in, in those days. <laughs> um, yeah, we had we had bowling leagues. We had programs at the at the agencies for the blind. We had um, diff different activities. Blind people hung around together more or something, and so we met more blind people. We don't meet the young people today. You know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And we don't, we don't meet the young people like we used to. So that's one of the big problems. Um, ACB has started that next generation group. So that's, you know, that's a start. The other thing I wanted to, I wanted to specifically ask Sandra, because I don't know, why, why don't we have more people of diversity on our boards and on our committees? Why don't those people feel comfortable running for positions or volunteering to be on committees like the rest of us do you know i mean like what it, it, do they feel out of place or or what is it there have been there have been some people of color on the board in the past but you know you're right there haven't been that many and i don't know about committees because i don't really know who's on them and i don't know sometimes who's black and who's white and who's indian whatever but what what is it? Why why do why do we why do we need to reach out specifically to these people? Why don't they feel comfortable? Um, like I said, uh, you know, joining committees or running for board positions. Like like why don't they? Is Sandra still there? Yeah, I think. Let me. Um, she does have her hand up, so let me let Sandra talk. Sandra, you should be unmuted. Uh, okay, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, um, <laughs> I, I think I may have opened up a can of worms, right? Like that was not my intent. <laughs> but Jean, I will do my best to, to answer your question, understanding that I don't speak for the Black Blind of America, but I, I, can, I can give you my best answer if that works for you, okay? Um, the thing about it is, you so far there has not been a concerted effort to reach out to everyone so clearly the reason we need to do it is because what's what we've been doing so far hasn't worked okay um i i i i think that there are a variety of reasons um, and I, I don't want to start calling out my states and stuff like that, but for years, I was the only person of color in the chapter, okay? 
Now, and I didn't even live in the state. I just went to support my friends. Um, I would say that um, a lot of what needs to happen, we need to feel more welcome. Whatever it takes. Um, if you have a metropolitan city or area and there is only one person of color in the chapter, there is a problem. Okay, because you're not talking about some rural community where, you know, population of, of 10 black people. No, you're talking about metropolitan areas. So it's it's a you start at a basic level, because before you can get to be a president and a board member and a, you, you have to figuratively pay your dues to ACB, which means you have to come up through the ranks. So it starts in terms of where chapters have their meetings. Who are the speakers? What are the topics? If you look at, for example, we're trying to increase the number of people of color. What's the largest, uh, one of the largest causes of blindness and visual impairment? Diabetes. Who has the highest population of diabetics? Um, so I, I, I'm not speaking for everyone, except that what I am saying is that we have to start thinking outside the box because we do have a lot of, like you said, Jean, you know, gone are the days when we had the bowling leagues and the social get togethers and the, you know, you had all kinds of blind stuff. Um, it's harder to do these days, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a need anymore. It just means that our recruitment tactics have to change. Okay. We, we have to go to the drawing board and see where are people because we're mainstream. So you don't have the camps and the, um, alumni and, the, but we're still here. And, and in a lot of ways we're worse off because there are no others, and so we go on, you know, it takes forever for us to find a job and we think it's us. And in fact, no, that's, that, that is very, that is quite normal for blind folks. For us, it take longer for us to find employment. So we really have to revisit how we do our membership and our recruitment. We have to start younger, never mind scholarship. We need to start with the babies, the, the parents of the blind children. Because by the time you get to college age, you're not really trying to join anything. But if you start earlier, I feel like you may have a better chance. So my short answer is we have to rebuild it from the ground up. Um, we understand that it's about people, but we have to be more inclusive. Because if what we were doing has been working, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We have to find a better way to make all people feel welcome in ACB. We start small and build up. I mean, it's not going to happen. Rome wasn't built in a day. It has a lot of moving pieces. Um, you know, but I can tell you that I get tired of being the only person of color in a meeting. 
I get tired of going to um, an audio described movie that's a, a black movie and having a white narrator. I get tired of listening to um, books that are authored by people of color, but they have white narrators. All of those things are part of systemic oppression, micro oppression. Mm-hmm. I get tired of going to convention and every vendor I go up to in the exhibit hall does not look like me. Come on now. We, we purchase, we have purchasing power like everyone else. So then why is it if, if we understand in the, we had this um, shift, we said back in the day, we're getting tired of all of these sighted vendors, sighted speakers. We want blind speakers. We want blind. Okay. That's what we got. Um, But to, to continually go up to the exhibit hall and never see vendors who look like me is problematic. So hopefully Jean, um, that is at least a start of an answer to your question and we've known each other forever. So, you know, we, I am more than happy to give you a call and we can further dialogue. I have no problem with that. Cause I think we're going to have to have these conversations in order to move forward. Can I say something? This Megan, is I see, I saw Megan's hand. Oh, I can wait. I can let Aspen go first. I just want I just wanted to say real quick that just to um piggyback off of what um Sandra just said that everything she said was right on and also that we need to think about because um you know when I started having my my vision issues I had never heard of ACB before and um I do have somebody in my family who was blind and I've never heard her you know speak of anything outside of the lighthouse guild so it wasn't until, um, you know, Terrence had approached me about joining um, the Greater New York chapter and to, you know, go visit the website. And, you know, now we're in an era of technology. And I think the biggest outreach that we can do is on, on social media as well. That, that's why, you know, um, you know, for our chapter, we have, I started the, uh, you know, the Twitter and Instagram page. And I know not a lot of um, blind people, I know I was, when I was um, talking about setting that up, I got a lot of feedback about how, you know, a lot of visually impaired people didn't know, you know, they didn't think that they could use Instagram because Instagram is all about pictures. How am I supposed to see that? So I started going to all of these workshops that the mayor's office was having about showing how that is possible now. So we have a whole Instagram page, we have Twitter, we have Facebook. A lot of people, a lot of blind people are familiar with Facebook, so it is accessible. But, you know, we also have to know that these other pages are accessible if, um, you know, you have the right person um, setting it up. And also, um, again, to go back to, you know, my sorority years, that um, the way we got more, like, to, to get more uh, notoriety, I would say, um, is by having, you know, people that are famous out there. Because I'm sure there's a lot of, I, the only person that I remember uh, from when I was younger was that governor that I think it was in New Jersey who was blind. Like that was some, that was somebody I never thought, you know, would be governor. So, you know, is he a part of, a, of uh, any of the New York chapters? I, I mean, I don't know if he still is in New Jersey. David Patterson. 
Yeah. It was New York. New York. So, you know, having some, you know, someone famous like that, um, you know, maybe speak at, at maybe like at a national convention like this or a state convention like this, or, you know, if you, if, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Molly Burke, but she's a blind YouTuber. She has millions of followers. And, you know, if you start getting that, you, that's how you can get like younger people at that age group that I was talking about, you know, more interested because they use YouTube, they use Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And all of that along with what Sandra said is how we get more people, more visibility to the chapter, just in my opinion. Wonderful dialogue. Any other um, strategies we can take moving forward? Because once you have this conversation, we don't want it to die with the conversation. Um, this is Megan. Um, just to wrap up by saying, you know, ACBNY, you know, I hesitate to talk about it because it's so new, but we have just formed a diversity committee to try to start doing some of this work, especially what um, Sandra and some others have talked about in terms of the need to do more intentional outreach um, to make sure um, that we are uh, actively welcoming people of color to the organization. Um, and then we can, of course, the more diverse we are, um, the more naturally we're going to have people of color and have more diverse leadership and participation. Um, and so, um, you know, it's very new. Some people who have been really active in today's conversation, I'd love to, you know, have you um, maybe join a call and see if you want to um, help us out, um, you know, because I think it is important. Um, and, uh, you know, we need that participation to make sure that um, our um, efforts are successful. So I just wanted to mention that. Hey there, everybody. This is Annie. We're coming up on uh, 6.40, I think. I think we have 10 <laughs> more minutes. Uh, so just giving you a, a heads up. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know, Stan, what do you, uh, do you want to proceed, uh, in, uh, towards the, uh, the conclusion of, um, of what we're talking about, or I don't, I don't know how you do things. Yeah, do well, things. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> how do we get in touch with you, Stan? Um, there's a couple ways you can get in touch with me. I'm going to give you my valued cell phone. <laughs> I'm in Pittsburgh. It's 412-606-9365. Okay. Yeah, one more time. 412 Six oh six nine three six five. Thank you so much. For those that want, if somebody wants my email, I can give you that now. Yeah. My email before I, I think Michael wants to speak. My email is all lowercase s as in Stan, 
H O L B R O O K. It's S Holbrook. The number four at Verizon.net. You could call me anytime and leave a voice message if, if I don't pick up, and I'll be sure to get back to you. I did want to mention at, w, uh, at the ILRU website, that's a group that does research for independent living around the country. We have conducted a best practice research um, with Centers for Independent Living. And we have case studies there. We have all our workshops there. We went over things like governance, building organizational infrastructure, uh, creating a welcoming environment, microaggressions. We, there's a plethora of information that may help you on your journey to, you know, move to be more inclusive. And I can give you that website if someone wants it, because it was on my, some of the things I was going to present today. And that website is www.ilru.org. And when you get to the main page, click on Disability, Diversity, and Intersectionality. So I've heard a lot of ideas about moving forward. I would only hope that you guys would take serious some of these ideas and actually move forward. I think one person can't move this. But I definitely think the leadership need to drive this. But everybody else needs to jump in and help. Yeah. There's committees, you break into committees and look <laughs> at the organization or creating advocacy here and there or social injustice committees, whatever you do. But I think it needs to be all um, that do it. Any closing words from you guys? I want to know if the conversation was of value and um, to you. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Holbrook, uh, for coming and giving us a opportunity to talk these things through and to start to plan for a brighter future for this organization. So that's my feeling right now. We really appreciate this information. This is Karen. I also would like to thank you very much for your time. And from everybody on the call that participated and, and really did um, speak from the heart, there were some um, things that Sandra had said that, believe me, I took some note of, and, um, and all of you. And um, 
you know, moving, moving forward, I plan on reaching out to um, more, um, more people to learn some things that I possibly don't know and will certainly lead this organization in the best possible way uh, to move forward with everything we've talked about on, on today's session. So thank you all very much. I'd like to thank the group for, for speaking out, speaking their hearts. That, that's what makes the conversation. When, when we don't hold back and when we say how we're feeling, that's the only way we progress. And I felt there was some progress today. So I want to thank you all. And so at this time, I, I see we have two minutes. If there's nothing else uh, to go over, I'm going to bid you adieu. <laughs> and you can call me uh, with anything. And I'll share, because I'm working on projects all over the country. I'll share mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And I'm having these conversations everywhere. And um, if I could be some somewhat of a help, I will. Thank so, you, Stan. Uh, Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the convention. Thank you. Thank you, Stan. This is Annie. I want to... I just thank you so much for being uh, open and being uh, kind and being uh, a convener. You know, I I have a lot to think about just as a person, uh, you know, and where my place in all this is. And I think yes. you've helped, uh, you've helped really kind of make me feel more connected. So thanks. Thank you. Take care all. All right. Good night. All right. Uh, Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Um, this is the end of our our long day of our first virtual convention for the American Council of Blind of New York. And uh, I, I want to, uh, before I sign off, I want to tell you guys, uh, first I want to thank everybody who took any part in this today. I It was exhilarating. It was exhausting. It was exciting. It was, oh, I'll be writing about this for a long time. Uh, so, but uh uh, I, w I want to um, tell everybody, please sign in tomorrow. We are our first uh, session is with um, Guide Dog Users of the Empire State starting at 915 in the morning. And we're going to go pretty much um, all day up until the evening. So I, I hope everybody is uh, is ready for that. Uh, so we have Guide Dog Users and then we have um, – uh, New York Citizens with Low Vision, Randall Shepherds. We have our um, Affiliates in Action Scholarship. And then we also have, uh, to, to sign out for the day, we have um, our ACB through the decades. Uh, we have a lot of stuff in store for you tomorrow. And I hope you all join us. And thank you for joining us today. And uh, I just hope everybody has a great evening and uh, go enjoy yourselves. So we have David Dunphy's After Hours starting at 7.30. Um, I know I sent everything out through ACB of New York through our membership list uh, for David's After Hours. So I hope to, uh, you know, drop in and uh, with my beverage of choice and, uh, you know, <laughs> And talk about what happened all day today or maybe what's going to happen tomorrow. Who knows? So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I send it over to ACB radio folks to, uh, to, to end the evening. And I just want to thank everybody for showing up and for a very honest 
an important conversation on diversity, on diversity and what we can do in our state affiliate to, to increase that diversity content uh, among ourselves. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Celebrating 50 years of liberty, self-advocacy, and independence, the American Council of the Blind of New York proudly supports our members from Long Island to Buffalo. Contact us by phone, 800-522-330, on the web at www.acbny.info, or email president at acbny.info.
I'm in a New York I'm in a New York state of mind 